Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Another round of winter storms hitting the U.S. this week. Regions from the West Coast to the Great Plains and the Midwest are all bracing for impact. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signs a bill into law that could change Disney World forever. This comes after the Adventure Park was accused of getting political. New revelation about COVID origins. How the White House responds to the lab leak assessment as lawmakers seek accountability from the Chinese Communist regime. The WHO meeting today to negotiate final terms of an accord to give the global organization centralized authority over U.S. policy in the case of another pandemic. How senators are responding. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen makes a surprise visit to Ukraine. She's there to show America's economic support for Ukraine as it fights Russia's invasion. Severe weather conditions continue across the country. Tornadoes and severe winds are hitting the central U.S. with snow and rain from the West Coast to the Great Lakes. According to PowerOutage.us, more than 280,000 homes and businesses were without power today. About two-thirds are in Michigan. Another round of ice and snow is expected to hit the region this week. Winter storm watches are in effect across the top of the U.S. from the Dakotas to Maine, dipping down into Pennsylvania. Outages were also reported in Oklahoma and Texas, where high winds are still causing risk of wildfires. Oklahoma and Kansas reported at least nine tornadoes and 12 injuries. The tornado weather reaches up into the Midwest, with two tornadoes reported near Chicago and sightings and power outages in Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana and Ohio. Much of the South is now under a high wind advisory as the front travels east. But in the West, the storm continues, with nine states under winter weather alerts as heavy rain and snowfall hit the region today. And in Florida, Disney World has lost its self-governing status, which it had for over 50 years. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says it will now be treated just the same as SeaWorld. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. There's a new sheriff in town and accountability will be the order of the day. That new sheriff is the state of Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis addressed the crowd about Disney World's self-governing status. How do you give one theme park its own government and then treat all the other theme parks differently? And so now we're basically, Disney's going to be treated like SeaWorld is treated or like any of these others. And that's really uh, the, the, the fair thing to do. So Disney World's self-governing status came to light after it voiced a political stance against Florida's parental rights and education law. Critics called it the don't say gay law. It banned discussing gender identity or sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade. But DeSantis says this was only part of the issue. What we came to realize after that dust settled on that uh, was you clearly had a movement within the corporation itself, of course, Burbank, California-based elements of it that said it's their job or it's their goal to inject a lot of this sexuality into the programming for young kids. Here's Disney's former CEO Bob Chapek speaking to employees shortly after DeSantis signed the parental rights and education bill into law. By now, I hope you've all read my most recent note in which I pledged to be a better ally for the LGBTQ plus community apologize for not being the ally that you needed me to be, and committed to ensuring that our company lives up to its values. 
Disney held its self-governing status for over 50 years. Look at your watch and you'll know at what time the corporate kingdom finally came to an end. The new law ends Disney's self-governing status. That means Disney will need to pay taxes and follow Florida's building codes. It will also lose control over utility and emergency services. Disney has also accumulated over $700 million of municipal debt. But that debt will still be paid by Disney and not Florida taxpayers. Aubrey Jouet, a political science professor at the University of Central Florida, told the Epic Times that this is a political move for DeSantis. But it may turn away some donors who view it as disloyal, as Disney has donated millions to Republicans in Florida. But because of one policy disagreement, they were threatened, publicly castigated, and then punished. The new law is set to go in effect in June 2023. We reached out to Disney World for comment, but we didn't hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News. A number of candidates have announced their bids for president in 2024. Fox News just released the results of a survey on who are the most popular choices. The survey among Republican primary voters shows former President Trump in first place with 43 percent. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's not officially in the race, is in second place with 28 percent. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who announced her bid earlier this month, is in third place with 7 percent. Among Trump primary voters, their preferred second choice is DeSantis, followed by former Vice President Mike Pence. And among DeSantis primary voters, their preferred second choice is Trump, followed by Haley. On the Democrats' side, most voters want someone other than President Biden as the party's nominee. Only 37 percent of Democratic primary voters want to keep Biden as the nominee. And in health news, it's been over three years since the first COVID-19 case was reported in Wuhan, China. And now scientists at the U.S. Energy Department say the outbreak likely stemmed from a lab leak in that city. NTD's Iris Tao has more on the White House's response. Reversing a previously undecided stance, the Department of Energy now believes the COVID-19 pandemic most likely came from a laboratory leak in Wuhan, China. That's according to a new report by the Wall Street Journal, which cites a classified intelligence report reportedly provided to the White House and key members of Congress. The White House, however, would not confirm that report on Monday, adding that there still hadn't been a conclusion. But I'm not going to confirm the press reporting that was out there. The work is still ongoing. There hasn't been a final conclusion uh, arrived at here. And regarding if the American public will learn more about what's being reviewed. And we're just not there yet. And when we're there yet, and if we have something that is, is, um, is ready to, to be briefed to the American people and the Congress, then we're going to do that. The White House asked that the U.S. has been consistently calling on the Chinese regime to be more transparent. That includes at a meeting between Biden and Xi a few months ago. We have consistently um, made it clear that we want China's full cooperation in a full transparent way with the investigations into COVID. All this as some lawmakers are calling for greater transparency and accountability. Republican Senators Rand Paul and Josh Hawley are urging the Biden administration to declassify documents about COVID origins. And Senator Tom Cotton says what matters is holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable so this doesn't happen again. Meanwhile, Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton says... Look, I'm not entirely surprised. Uh, the Chinese have mishandled COVID at every step of the way, uh, trying to sweep it under the rug. U.S. ambassador to China calls on the Chinese regime. Of course, be more honest about what happened. 
three years ago in Wuhan with the origin of the, of the uh, COVID-19 crisis. The White House says President Biden has devoted resources to investigating the origin of COVID, but it has also repeatedly noted the lack of cooperation from Beijing has made such investigations more difficult. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. And to offer analysis on this report, earlier today I spoke with former U.S. Army microbiologist Dr. Sean Lin. He's now a professor of biomedical sciences at the Feitian College in New York and a member of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. And he says this report points to bigger issues that should concern the international community when it comes to COVID and China. Dr. Sean Lin, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Now, the Energy Department is now reportedly saying COVID-19 likely came from a lab, which the Chinese regime says is just smearing China and politicizing origins tracing. What are your thoughts on that? It's very unfortunate uh, for the whole international society that we still don't understand uh, what was the origin of the virus, uh, even after three years of the pandemic. The Department of Energy's uh, analysis just reconfirm there's a potential of lead leak origin of the COVID virus. But uh, I need to emphasize that it also showed low confidence. That means they only collected uh, limited evidence or fragmented evidence or circumstantial evidence. So the critical issue here is that the uh, Chinese communist regime still did not collaborate with the international society on uh, investigate the true origin of the virus. The Chinese regime has cited the WHO's investigation of the virus lab leak hypothesis, which concluded that it was unlikely. What's your assessment of that investigation? Uh, I don't think the WHO's report has uh, full credibility here. I think uh, people understand that WHO did not get enough collaborations uh, from the Chinese government when they uh, sent a team for the second time. But I think more important issue uh, we need to hold uh, CCP accountable for spreading the virus around uh, around the globe. I think that's more important actually than tracing the origin of the virus. Uh, the CCP's spreading the virus worldwide, making uh, the people being affected in Wuhan city to travel international wide while they contain their travel inside China. That's clearly an indication that Communist Party won the virus to spread widely uh, in the whole world. So I think this part definitely the international society haven't done enough to hold this be accountable. And I think actually this should be a focus for future uh, global efforts. And what would it look like in your view to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for this? Uh, international society suffered tremendously for the pandemic. And uh, so whether uh, financially, uh, economically, as well many society actually taking so-called Chinese model uh, to uh, put uh, quarantines, isolations, or all kinds of uh, strict measures uh, to believe that lockdown will have an impact on containing the spreading of the virus. But I think nowadays we understand that the Chinese model is wrong. So uh, when Chinese government spreading the virus worldwide and then push out the Chinese model to the whole uh, global society, so definitely the Chinese Communist Party uh, play a critical role uh, 
making the whole world believe the Chinese model as well, make many countries suffer tremendously for the pandemic. So this part, uh, international society need to have uh, full evaluation, what kind of uh, economic damage that they suffer due to the pandemic, and also uh, need a full investigation report regarding how CCP allowed the virus spread globally. Was that just a, a policy mistake or actually it was part of the unrestricted warfare strategy that the Communist Party has played for the last 20 years? You're saying that we should be more wary that the CCP may have also known that the virus came from a Chinese lab and, and perhaps even more than that. Yes, I think that uh, one important issue that uh, we need to emphasize now even though uh, with the Department uh, of Energy's report, even though with Congressional report, even with WHO report, uh, all these reports did not deal with the threat that the Chinese military was very aggressive in building up their uh, bioweapon programs. The international society haven't uh, really comprehensively have a full strategy in dealing with the threat on this aspect. So I think the the issue here that we quite often only dealing with one threat from the CCP at one time, right? Maybe today we're dealing about economy threat, we talk about uh, uh, maybe uh, steering intellectual property threat, and we talk about infiltration threat. So quite often it's just like one threat at a time, but I think we need a full spectrum, full whole government uh, strategy in dealing with the CCP threat. So right now, this report from the Department of Energy just remind us there's another important threat from the CCP. The international scientific community need to understand there could be military implications or applications that the People's Liberation Army are very interested in. So even though what you collaborate uh, specifically may not be directly related to military research, but in the future, these technology can be used, can be further advanced for military, for military purpose. It's just like uh, like Wuhan Institute of Virology. On the ground level, it's, uh, it's a civilian institute's uh, operation, like, but underground, it can be military operation. There are uh, different layers of underground in the building. And there are military uh, management divisions under the uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology, but people just didn't realize in the past, right? So it could be a very tight civil military fusion program in China, but we just didn't know. So I think we cannot be totally naive on this aspect. The uh, whole world need to understand the CCP can be very aggressive in this terrorism aspect, in uh, making more gain upon your study, in making more dangerous human cloning studies, in making more dangerous uh, synthetic biology uh, technologies. And they are very aggressively collecting uh, biometric information, uh, sequencing data from Western uh, society. So we need to understand this threat full spectrum. So right now, uh, if more report coming out of uh, different departments and talk about the threat, talk about the, uh, the origin of the virus, I think it's a good thing, uh, even though the conclusions may not be uh, totally conclusive, uh, I think actually think it's very hard to be conclusive if we don't have any collaboration from CCP. But at least it keep reminding us that the threat from the CCP can be very comprehensive.
Dr. Sean Lin, former U.S. Army microbiologist, professor of biomedical sciences at Feitian College, and member of the Committee on the Present Danger, China. Appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Senators on Capitol Hill are sounding the alarm. They say that the WHO is compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. This, as the global organization met in Switzerland today to negotiate the final terms of an accord to grant it centralized authority over U.S. policy in the case of another pandemic. The senators are pushing back. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more from Capitol Hill. The World Health Organization met today to discuss an accord that would set the standard for how to handle future pandemics. Here's the United States official comments from today's meeting. The United States is committed to the pandemic accord to form a major component of the global health architecture for generations to come. Now, these terms that the WHO's member states are negotiating includes both non-legally binding and legally binding elements. Some senators on Capitol Hill, as well as some think tank organizations, are sounding the alarm. For example, the Heritage Foundation warned, quote, this draft would dramatically expand WHO authority to declare a pandemic. A group of senators have introduced a bill to push back against this. This bill would specify that the Senate must approve of this WHO treaty before it goes into effect. Earlier today, I spoke with one of the bill's sponsors, Senator Roger Marshall. Here's what he told me about why it's needed. Dr. Tedros, unfortunately, has been bought and paid for by the Chinese a Communist Party. So anything coming out of the World Health Organization, I'm very concerned about. But we'll never usurp authority to the World Health Organization over the United States. I, I think that they're way outside of their lane. I definitely think we should go back and restrict all of our funding with the World Health Organization until it has a complete review. It probably needs to have a hearing here in, in Congress and take a really deep dive because I do think that they're being controlled by the Chinese Communist Party right now. And some legal experts are echoing this message calling for the need for the U.S. to pull out of the WHO and restrict funding to it. Right now, the U.S. is the largest contributor to the WHO's roughly $6.7 billion budget with, a, with over $1 billion dedicated to health emergencies. Now, another senator who is a sponsor of this Senate bill uh, wouldn't directly answer my question as to whether or not he would support pulling the U.S. out of the WHO and restricting funding to it, but he did have this to say about the organization as a whole. Given the role that WHO played in many ways of being complicit with the Chinese and covering up what happened in Wuhan, I think we're starting to see, you're, you're going to see a lot of new questions as the evidence continues to come out of Wuhan as to what really happened to the origins of the uh, of COVID. The WHO will continue to discuss terms for this pandemic accord over the next month or so before they officially finalize the accord. Um, but ultimately, it's unclear how much of our priority that pushing back against this will be for senators here on Capitol Hill. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky today, just days into the war's second year. She's repeating assurances delivered by President Biden a week ago in Kyiv. Tamara Lindstrom produced this report. As we mark one year since the beginning of this full-scale invasion, the message I bring you from President Biden is simple. America will stand with Ukraine for as long as it takes. 
U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen swept into Kyiv on Monday in a surprise visit to reaffirm U.S. support for Ukraine as it fights Russia's invasion, highlighting U.S. economic aid that is bolstering Ukraine's war effort. And today I'm proud to announce the transfer of an additional amount of over $1.2 billion. That's the first tranche of about $10 billion in direct budget support that the United States will provide in the coming months. Yellen met with President Volodymyr Zelensky and Ukrainian Prime Minister Denis Shmihal. Shmihal said the two discussed further U.S. sanctions on Russia, as well as confiscating frozen Russian assets. Yellen's visit comes a week after U.S. President Joe Biden staged his own unannounced trip to Kyiv and promised $500 million in additional military aid for Ukraine and new sanctions on Russia announced days later, including effectively banning U.S. imports of Russian aluminum. Yellen visited Kyiv on her way back to Washington from a G20 finance leaders meeting in India, where she urged counterparts to boost economic aid to Ukraine and insisted that G20 ministers issue a strong condemnation of Russia's invasion. Yellen's visit comes as polls show increasing skepticism among Americans about the cost of aiding Ukraine, and some Republican lawmakers call for more scrutiny of the dollars being spent. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, remember you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, over 60 people died in a migrant shipwreck near Italy, including at least a dozen children. And in tennis, the world's number one ranked player broke a two-decade-old record by Steffi Graf Sunday without even stepping on the court. We'll have that story and more coming up. The death toll of a migrant shipwreck near Italy has risen to 62, with about 200 people believed to have boarded the vessel from Turkey. There are fears that more than 100 people, including children, have died. Italian authorities have rejected criticism of a delayed rescue. Two rescue boats had to turn back given the rough seas. Rescuers recovered more bodies on Monday a day after a wooden sailboat carrying migrants to Europe smashed onto rocks in stormy weather off southern Italy. The death toll has risen to 62, including at least 14 children. The Italian interior minister said bad weather hampered rescue efforts. It was impossible to conduct any possible maneuver to get close or carry out a rescue due to sea conditions. We always have to consider that rescues are carried out by institutional rescue teams must avoid putting at risk their lives of the rescuers while they are trying to rescue others. The shipwreck has stoked a debate on migration. New laws for rescue charities by the recently elected right-wing Italian government have drawn criticism from the United Nations. But the interior minister denied that the government is to blame for the loss of life. Instead, he pointed the finger at human traffickers and the families that set off to sea. The only true thing that should be said, confirmed and repeated is that they should not depart. Many of the victims washed ashore, close to where the vessel sank, near Cutro, a seaside resort. 
It would be impossible to delete that scene from our minds. We saw naked bodies on the ground, children, women, men, and then the waves bringing ashore more children. These are deeply touching scenes. Local authorities said at least 80 people survived the disaster, as around 200 people were believed to have boarded the vessel when it left from Turkey. It's feared many more may have perished or be missing. And we'll keep you updated as that story progresses. Next, over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Houston Cougars are still the number one team in the country today, according to the latest AP poll. At 27-2, the Cougars have the best record overall, having lost just once since mid-December. Meanwhile, the rest of the top five remain the same as last week, as Houston was followed by Alabama, Kansas, UCLA, and Purdue, which boasts leading player of the year candidate Zach Eady. Meanwhile, Marquette, which has won nine of their last ten to lead the Big East now, jumped four spots to number six. They were followed by Baylor, Arizona, Texas, and Gonzaga to round out the top ten. And in tennis rankings, Novak Djokovic has now been number one longer than any other player, man or woman. The 35-year-old was in the top spot Sunday for the 378th week of his career to pass Steffi Graf's record. The 22-time Grand Slam champion passed Roger Federer's men's mark of 310 weeks two years ago. And in baseball news, Padres all-star third baseman Manny Machado has agreed to an 11-year, $350 million extension to stay in San Diego, according to ESPN. The total amount ranks as the fourth largest baseball contract ever handed out behind the current one signed by Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and Aaron Judge. The 30-year-old Machado finished runner-up in the MVP voting last year and recently said he would exercise the opt-out in his contract after the season. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has four games planned, including a Boston-New York matchup as the Celtics look to maintain their slim lead over the Bucks in the East. And finally, for you hockey fans, five NHL games are on tap, featuring the team with the best record by a ways, the Boston Bruins, playing at the Edmonton Oilers and leading scorer, Connor McDavid. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.